Good morning, Boker Tov. It should be a good morning. Amir Tzashem, it should be a Boker Tov, a besor, day filled with Besoros Tovos. We should hear good news from Eretz Yisrael. Please God, our hostages should be brought home. Our soldiers should have a sweeping victory. They should return to their families. We should hear only good things. We want to thank our generous Parsha Siri sponsors, Becky and Avi Katz and family. In memory of Becky's father, Le'ilu Nishmas David Menachem Monash, David Grossman. This morning is also sponsored by... My dear friends, Rabbi Kiva and Dr. Rachel Wolk, in commemoration of the Yerzai for Rebetzin Annette Wolk, Allah Shalom and Hashem Hashem and Aliyah, by Judith Rosen, in commemoration of the Yerzai of Rav Eli Melech Baruch Rosen, Marvin Rosen, we remember well, by Naftali and Etya Weiss, Lidanishmas Aaron Ben Naftali Herzl, and it should be a Rafua Shlema for Rachel Bas Miriam, who's undergoing a procedure today, should have a speedy, painless, and complete Rafua Shlema. One housekeeping note we will not have Shear the next two weeks. It's okay, it's okay, Baruch Hashem. It's okay, we're going, we're going to Eretz Yisrael, we're going to Israel. And uh, you can listen to plenty of uh, previous year's shirim online. And plenty of other people give a shir as well. So we are taking a break over the next two weeks. Parshas Bo, page 340 in the Art Scroll, Stone Chumash. Vayom Hashem Moshe. You ready? Here we go. Hashem said to Moshe, We find ourselves... In the midst of the Makos, the unfolding of this incredible drama in Mitzrayim, even though we know the way the story goes, we live it. The Parsha. We know these Parshios. We know them well. Not only do we read them through Sefer Shmos, we live them through the two Sedarim, through the holiday of Pesach. And despite that, despite knowing where the story is going and how the story ends, there's a drama. There's anticipation. It unfolds. And there's always something new. And there's always something relevant Dafka for the time in which we are living, there are lessons for today. So let's start out with a well-known idea. We've shared it before, but it's shared now in a new Sefer, in a new context. Rav Druk, Rav Yisrameh Druk Shlita, his Sefer Lahav Oseish, he's coming February 5th to our community looking forward. Hashem says to Moshe, Bo El Paro, Tzarech Lovin Es Alashon Shnemar Khan Bo El Paro, Lechora Meduktak Yosar Haya Ilu Nemar, Lech El Paro. Everybody knows this. Torah should have said, Hashem should have said, Moshe, Go! Go deliver the message. Go confront Paro. Go storm the palace. Go speak truth to power. Go. Lech el Paro. Instead he says, Bo el Paro. Come with me. He's sending Paro. He's not calling him to him. So Bo means, come here where I am. Lech means go. Go where your mission is. Why does he say Bo? Pashto say makam lamar. When Baruch first recruited Moshe, he said to him, Don't worry. You feel that you have a speech impediment? You have a stammer? You have a stutter? Don't worry. I will put the words in your mouth. Don't worry. I will give you the siyata deshmaya. We spoke about it this past Shabbos. I don't want to go backwards, a parsha, but when Hashem va'ira el Avram, says, I, I appeared previously el Avram el Yitzchak el Yaakov, and Rashi says, el ha'avos. As if we don't know who Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are, Rashi tells us, in case you forgot, those are the originals, OG, those are the avos. As if you forgot who Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are. So we shared several interpretations. But one of them, Rishmuel Ben Tver Shmuel said, I didn't get the new Tefer Shmuel by Tuesday. I don't have it yet. They send the newsletter on email on Thursday. So for Shabbos, I have Tefer Shmuel's, but for Tuesday, we do not yet have Sefer Shmuel's out. So Tefer Shmuel, Shmuel Berenbaum Zatzal says, 
El HaAvos means Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, they were great. They were inherently very holy people. But their all greatness came because the Kaddish Baruch Hu gave them Siata Deshmaya Adma Od. Once he designated them Avos, once they were designated leaders, a mouthpiece, an ambassador of Am Yisrael, Kaddish Baruch Hu elevated them. He gave them a Siata Deshmaya. And says the Tzver Shmuel, in our home, in our family, in our community, in Am Yisrael, in Klal Yisrael, in whatever capacity, the moment we accept upon ourselves leadership, we are willing to speak up, to speak truth, then we merit the same siyata deshmaya. So they were great, not only because inherently, intrinsically, they were great, Ella Avos, because once they were designated the Avos, they merited a siyata deshmaya. And Moshe was the same. That's what Hashem was telling Moshe. You're worried, you're reluctant, you're hesitant, you don't think you have what it takes, you don't have the courage, you don't have the conviction, don't worry. Go and speak up, and I will give you the words. I will give you the courage. I'll give you the courage. I was coming back on Sunday. My son has chaz gemara. I was in one car with my son. My wife was driving in another car with my shver, with my father-in-law. And for the first time, this was actually a little bit scary. We have on each of our cars, we have the flags that we gave out. A thousand Israeli flags, American flags, Tzahal flags on the car. Driving Palmetto Park Road, and some maniac, first he cut me off, and he was cursing, and he gave me the one-finger salute, and he had not nice things to say about Israel and about the flags. Fine, I just avoided eye contact. I tried to take a little video so I could report him. Then he fell back, and he did the same thing to my wife, to Yecheved. He cut off the car. So I called Yecheved. I said, first of all, obviously, avoid him. Don't escalate. She said, you won't believe it. I said, what? She said, my father lowered the window, and he's <laughs> giving it back to... I said, your father? My fa- I didn't know my father had that in him. Who knew? Elavos, Elashver. Who knew? When you're in that moment of truth and you need to speak up and you need to find your voice and you need to confront an enemy, you find the voice or the appropriate gestures or whatever you need to reciprocate to, uh, to the car that's confronting you, that's coming by. So Akash Borchu says to Moshe, don't worry. You're worried. You think you have a speech impediment? You're worried and you say, what if someone cuts me off? What if they're cursing out my flags? What will I do? Kodesh Baruch Hu says, don't worry. I'll put the words in your mouth. I'll put the courage in your fingertips. I'll give you what you'll need in order to speak up in that moment. What we have to know and we have to feel in our kishkas, wherever we're going, whomever we have to confront, we're not alone. Kodesh Baruch Hu puts his arm around us and he comes and says, no, come. Let's go. We're going to the hospital to visit someone. We're going to the shiva home to pay a tough shiva call. Come. We're going to have a difficult conversation and resolve a conflict. We're going to negotiate a complicated business matter. Come. We're going to an office of Congress to speak up and to speak out. Kodesh Baruch doesn't say leich. Go. Good luck. Let me know how it goes. Kodesh Baruch puts his arm around us and he says, Nu, bo. Come. We're going together. It's not stama vort. This is palpably what we're meant to feel. With every shlichus of our lives, with every mission that we're on, Kaddish Baruch is putting his arm around us and he says, Bo. Bo fenosav yeshlus. That's classic. Everybody knows that. We've said it a million times. But of Druk adds, You could say to someone new, Go. Every morning we find ourselves saying to our kid, Go to school. Baruch Hashem, my girls live a 30-second walk to school. I don't have to drive them, carpools, no, but... No, go already, it's getting late, go! What does go mean? I'm staying here, get away from me, go over there. 
That's what go means, not to our children, we love them, but they have to go to school. Go, go to work, go to school, go where you're meant to go, go. I'm here, you go there, and there's some distance between us. Go suggests, implies that you're going somewhere that I'm not there. But the Ribbono Shalom is, in the words of Uncle Moshe, here, there, and everywhere. So when we wonder, why does it say bo, it shouldn't say lech, says of druk, it's a klatz kasha. You can't say lech with a Kaddish Baruch Hu because you could never leave him. Lech means leave me and go where you're meant to go. But when it comes to the Ribbono Shalom, when it comes to the Almighty, you can never leave. He goes with you wherever you go because he's here, there, and everywhere. Kaddish Baruch Hu fills the entire world. Don't be afraid and don't worry and don't be intimidated and don't be overwhelmed. Kaddish Baruch Hu says, I am with you wherever you are. Wherever you are, even in the palace of Paro, Liolam Eno Misrachik, I'm not at a distance. You didn't leave me behind. I didn't just give you talking points and send you on your on your way. Says Rav Druk, that's why it's Bo. We always ask, I it should be Lech. Why is it Bo? Everyone gives the Qvor because Hashem says, I'm going with you. But he says, it's not because Hashem is going with you. You can't say Lech by a Baruch Hu. You can never leave him behind wherever we go, whatever we're doing, whatever we have to overcome, whatever we have to navigate in our lives. He is by our side. He is with us by definition. By definition. So all there is, the only thing we can say is, is Bo. Continuing right along. says, so that you may relate in the ears of your son, your son's son, that I made a joke of Mitzrayim, my signs that I placed among them, that you may know that I am Hashem. For whom are the Makos? We make the mistake of thinking the Makos were directed at the Mitzrim, the Egyptians. We make a mistake of thinking it's a pachim ponim to Paro. Krish is giving a smack to Paro. You don't know who I am? Moshe says, I'd like to introduce you. Here's the card. Here's who I represent. I'm here on behalf of the Almighty God. And Paro says, I don't know such a God. I don't know such a God. So Rebona Shalom says, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Dam, Tzfardeya, Kinim, Arab, Dever, Shechin. Shalom Aleichem. Nice to meet you. And the Mephoshim explained how that's what Rabbi Yehuda was saying. The Tzach, Adash, Barav. There were three parts to the curriculum. Three parts to the curriculum. Paro in three ways. I never heard of you. And even if you exist, do you have anything to do with me? There were three ways that Paro rejected the notion of God. And God responds with a three-part curriculum. But here in this Pasuk, Hashem is revealing, why is he hardening Paro's heart? And why is he performing these miracles, intervening and interceding in nature? Something Hashem does not like to do. Why is he doing it? For whom? To whom is it directed? It's for us to never doubt, to always look back that when we're going through a war in Tafshin Pei Dalad, we know whatever gullus, whatever harshness, wherever we find ourselves, Kurdish Baruch Hu can make miracles. He can intervene and intercede. He could bring us out. Kurdish Baruch Hu is the source. And you'll say, well, who says? Maybe he created a world and he moved on. Maybe it's all over. The answer is, 
Look at Mitzrayim. Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim permeates our tefillah, our Shabbos, our Kiddush, Kriyashma, every morning, every night. We're constantly tapping in. We're constantly turning back. We're constantly reminding ourselves of what happened in the Exodus. Why? Is Hashem so egomaniac, egotistical? He needs us to review over and over and over again how great He is, how great what He did is? No. He wants to reassure us that whatever we are going through, just as He redeemed then, He can redeem now. That's the pshat in being somech ge'ula l'tfilah. We spoke about this in Siddur snippets. We're already now finishing Tkaba Shofar. But when you finish Ga'al Yisrael, the Gemara makes a promise. Whoever somech ge'ula l'tfilah, if you simply recite Ga'al Yisrael and immediately, adjacently, go right into the Amida, don't be distracted. Don't look around. Don't read Lord John Rabbi Sachs' Parsha sheet. Don't talk to the guy who just walked into Shul late. Don't set up the Kiddush. Ga'al Yisrael. You know what you merit? Psh, what you merit? Uh, the world to come. Gan Eden. And the Mepharshim Revolba wonders, really? Because you just went from Gal Yisrael into the Amida with no interruption. No matter what else you did in this world, you merit. So he says, you know what the Pshad is? To be masmech, to be somech geula l'tfila means, you start the Amida and you say to yourself, das, but who says, can you really make me wise and smart? Are you really going to give make me heal and recover or give a full recovery to the person I love who's going through an illness? Are you really the one who could bring redemption of Re'eva and Yenu? Are you going to gather the exiles? Are you going to bring justice? Are you going to... All the Amida. Why am I wasting my time? Why am I saying this? Who says he's interested? Who says he's involved? Who says he's aware? Who says he cares? Who says he intervenes? You know what the answer is? Bisomech ge'ula latfila. Remember and recall the past ge'ula ga'al Yisrael right before you say the Amidah. If someone ever once did you a favor, then when you go in to ask them for the next favor, you find the courage and you find the will and you find the words because you say, you know, last time I had a problem, I called them and they took care of me. And I'm sure they can and they will do it again. And that's why we're a Somer Geula Litfila, because we maintain that theme. We remember that. And that's what this Pasuk is telling us. Tell your children, tell your grandchildren, the makra I made of Mitzrayim, Whatever Mitzrayim, whatever Metzar, whatever constricted, restricted place, when you feel the walls are closing in, the ceiling is caving in, when you feel the, the sky is falling on you, your Mitzrayim and on Metzar Karasika, your Mitzrayim, be so Remember Gal Yisrael then, because I can be Goel Yisrael today. I can be Goel Yisrael today. A little preview of tonight's Siddur snippet. Mekabetz Nidchei Amo Yisrael. Mekabetz is in Hove. It's in the present tense. Why don't we say the future? You will. It's hopeful. It's aspirational. You will. So Rav Schwab, preview for tonight's Siddur snippet. Rav Schwab says it's in Lashon Hova. Hashem is constantly redeeming and bringing redemption. It happens in stages and increments. The Dal, the Shonos of Geula. So to whom and for whom is it directed? It's for us. Yes, Paro and Mitzrim. Yes, the whole world got a curriculum. They got an education. But you know who needs that education? Most importantly, we do. We need to wake up every day and know He is involved in our lives. He didn't create and move on. He is intimately involved. And that's why the Kuzari quotes the Ibn Ezra's question. And the Kuzari answers, Why does Hashem introduce Himself with the Aseris Adibros? I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. Not the most impressive thing on His resume. Everyone knows the interview. Start with the most impressive thing on your resume. Mute the Sharchen. Start with the most impressive thing on your Shidduch resume. Everyone knows you start with the most impressive thing. Why does he go to number two? I took them out of Egypt. Big deal. You created the whole world. 
Start with the fact that you created the whole world. The Kuzari says, you know why? First of all, no one was there to see that. But our ancestors experienced Mitzrayim and they told us. They told their children, who 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 are our parents and who told us. It was handed and transmitted to us person after person. But moreover, says the Kuzari, you know why? Because maybe you created the world. Impressive. Ex nihilo. Something from nothing. Yesh me'ayin. Incredible. Can never be duplicated, replicated. You created something from nothing. But who says you didn't do that and then move on to another project? Who says you didn't do that and then retire? How do we know you're still involved? Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And the purpose of the Aserah Sadibros, the purpose of our relationship with you is not to be impressed, not to be overwhelmed, not to be intimidated, but to be supported and loved, to know that you have our back, to know that you're involved in our lives. That's why all these makos, that's why everything that he did. Skip to Pasuk Zayim. We're now on the eighth plague, the plague of locusts, the plague of Arba, and the servants of Paro turn to Paro right now. This question never bothered me before. I said, we read the same parsha every year, but you discover new questions, new answers, new insights. It's amazing. It's amazing. So the slaves of Paro turn to him and they say, No, Genukshain. They spoke Yiddish. They said, Enough, enough. How long are you going to let this go on? Send them out. Let them go. Let them go worship. Your stubbornness, your obstinacy, your ego, your arrogance, you're bringing plagues literally upon our heads. It's enough. This is number eight. How many times? How many? Hurricanes and tsunamis and tornadoes and snowstorms and disasters. Enough. Enough. Do you not yet know that Mitzrayim is lost. You can't hold on. It can't stay the same. Enough. Enough. And wonders, Rav Druk. First Rashi says, Do you not yet know? Do you not see the writing on the wall? Can you not read the room? Have you not read what the, what the pundits are saying? You've lost it. You've lost. It's over. It's over. So why are you clinging in such a way that the next plague is being brought upon us? It's cruel. Enough. There's a big question. What's the question? We read this parish every year, and we sing and count the makos at the Seder every year. Did it ever occur to you? Are they out of their minds? Who are they to storm into Paro and to talk to him with such a chutzpah, such a brazenness? What are you contradicting Paro? You're giving him musr? Even when you want to advise the president, the prime minister, the king, gently, softly, have you considered? Have you thought about? Put in the briefing booklet. But you yell at him and you put a finger in his face and you say, do you know what you're doing to us? It's enough. It's over. Let it go. The questioning is judgment, his decision making. They're demanding. Send them out. They're declaring, declaring, you've lost Mitzrayim. It's the chutzpah, the brazenness. Where'd they get that from? Where'd they get from them? You have to understand that in that time, to speak to a king in that way, the king would declare off with your head. He'd simply kill you. So how could they talk to him in such chutzpah? 
They're all his servants. They're all his slaves. Where do they, where do they get this chutzpah? Listen to what he says. Listen to the Rejuk's insight. It's an incredible, incredible principle here. You see the impact of our surroundings on us. Who we hang out with, to whom we expose ourselves, our environment, the culture. You see how quickly it impacts. Sometimes we're not even aware of it. We don't even see it or notice it. We can't even measure it. But it's contagious and through osmosis and through peer pressure, an environment, a culture, it changes, it shapes, it molds. So what happens? Even if the culture until now was, everyone was afraid, they walked on eggshells, they tittered, but one person broke that barrier, one person pierced that ceiling, one person showed, you know, you could push back a little bit could show a little bit of chutzpah. You can challenge and survive. When they saw that Moshe and Aaron had no problem marching in the palace, had no problem pointing a finger in his face, had no problem demanding of Paro, let my people go, all of a sudden they said, hmm. They didn't do it consciously. They didn't sit around and have a meeting and say, well, I guess we're allowed to not talk that way. Update. We're allowed to talk that way. They just, you see the impact of peer pressure. You see the impact of a culture. They, what happened was there was a fear, there was a fire. And all of a sudden, they splashed cold water on it. Moshe and Aaron poured cold water on that fear and on that fire. They broke through that invisible wall and now everyone could walk through it, including Avde Paro, including his advisors. Yisona he says, Rav Druk, we find this concept elsewhere too. Haman Arasha. Haman Arasha had the whole world bowing down to him. Everybody. A little preview. I know it's not too bishop, a little preview to Purim. Zeres Ishto. Haman's got it all. Haman's got it all. He's elevated. He's distinguished. He's prominent. Fame and fortune. Power. But it's all not worth anything to me. As long as I see Mordechai sitting there and I walk by and he doesn't bow, I don't care that everyone else bows. I don't care that I have fame and fortune. I don't care that I'm the biggest influencer and I have all the power. But that one little Jew, I walk by and he won't look at me. He doesn't bow to me. He doesn't defer to me. So it all doesn't matter. It all doesn't mean anything to me because I don't have that. Nobody had the fame, nobody had the fortune, nobody had the influence, nobody had the power. And yet, he says none of it's worth anything to me, throws it all away. It clouds his old judgment. This one little Jew, this old man who won't bow down. Who cares? Who cares? So listen to what he says. And moreover, by the way, and so what does he do? They build the gallows, and I'm going to hang Haman. I'm going to hang Mordechai, rather. And one does Rav Druk. Why do you have to make a special death, a special murder for, ha- for Mordechai? You already have a plan to exterminate all the Jews, and Mordechai is one of the Jews. So this lowly Jew is bothering you. When you exterminate all the rest of the Jews of Shushan, there goes Mordechai too. 
You need to separate him out and hang him on a gallow, hang him on a tree, let him die with everybody else. Why do you have to waste your time, spend your time and your resources? Why do you have to come up with your whole plan just for him? And the answer is, he spells it out a lot longer, but I want to get further in the parasha. Such a brilliant insight. You know what Haman was really worried about? Yes, I have it all. Yes, everyone else bows down. Yes, I have fame and fortune. But do you know how fragile that is? You know how much it could disappear at any moment? You know why? Because all it takes to turn everything is one person realizing, you know, that Mordechai sits there and doesn't bow. Why are we bowing? That Mordechai doesn't get up. Why do we get up? That Mordechai doesn't submit and surrender. Why do we have to surrender? And the presence of one person is the kryptonite that could bring it all down. And Haman understood, it's not, all of it's not worth something to me because it could all disappear at any moment. He is threatened by the presence even of the one. He has to be eliminated. He has to be eliminated. And where did Haman learn this Yisod from? Because many years before, his ancestors, who were, from whom does Haman descend? Same as Hamas, from Amalek. Shahaman hu mitzatzav, bali lachim b'nei Yisrael, b'derach b'tzaysam mitzrayim. Ambali come and they attack the Jewish people. On our way out of Mitzrayim, we'll read it next week. The Torah tells us what's their reason, what's their rationale, what's their mission. Why do Amalek attack? Asher korcha baderach. Zakterashi, asher korcha baderach. What's the taich? What's the translation of the word korcha? Lashon, kor v'chom. We were on fire. We were on fire. When I was a kid, there was a video game. And if you hit three shots in a row in the NBA video game, you were on fire. And then your, your uh, player became like bigger and there was like rings around them. They were on fire. They couldn't miss. None of you know what I'm talking about. They were on fire. On fire. Claudia was on fire. There were just 10 plagues and a splitting of a sea. All for them, they were untouchable. They were on fire. No one could go near them. No one could go near them. My parents described that after the Six-Day War, a Jew walked around, and to every non-Jew, every Jew was 10 feet tall. The world was afraid of the Jewish people, what Israel accomplished in the, in the first six hours of the Six-Day War. There was a fear on fire. Nobody dare. Nobody dare. Anti-Semites went into hiding. Nobody dare. But what happens? The Amaleks of this world come along, and you know what they do? They splash cold water on your fire. They attack. And when they attack, they open the door for everyone. It's exactly what we're seeing right now. Because it became in vogue and in fashion to be an anti-Semite. There were always anti-Semites, the last 75 years too. But it wasn't, it wasn't in vogue, it wasn't in fashion. You couldn't speak out, you couldn't pull up and cut somebody off and curse out their flag. But now, now, that ceiling's been broken. That cold water's been splashed on our fire. It's what Amalek did. It's what Haman feared Mordechai not bowing would do. It's what Moshe and Aaron accomplished that enabled and allowed the advisors, the Avde Paro, to turn to him and say, Demand, declare, Ki Avda Mitzrayim. Where did they get that brazenness? Where did they get that chutzpah? The answer is because Moshe and Aaron spoke that way. So they did too. So there's a big yisod, a big yisod. 
Again, he has a long essay. He goes on a lot further. Nobody would dare challenge Paro. Paro was an emperor. He ruled with an iron fist. He could do whatever he wants. But when Moshe and Aaron came and they popped that balloon, they put a hole. When they opened that door, and they smacked him with one plague after another, all of a sudden everyone found their voice. And now they were able to push back. And there's a powerful message, a powerful message in this insight. Perak Yud, Pasuk Yud, Perak Yud, Pasuk Tes. Turning the page, 342. Here you have this conversation now. Paul is ready to send them out. And he's ready to let them go. A brief sojourn. So Moshe and Aaron were returned to Paro, and he said to them, Go and serve your God. Paro, Paro asks them, No, who's going? Fine, fine. You're going to do an avoda? You have a ritual, you have a ceremony, you have a religious rite you need to perform? No problem. Give me the roster, give me the itinerary. I'm going to need passport numbers, the two datzuhut, social security numbers. You're going, you're getting a little break. Who's going? And what does Moshe answer? Peculiarly. You know who's going? Our youngsters and our elders, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flock and with our cattle. You know why? It's a chag. It's a yontif. It's geschmack. What kind of an answer is that to Paro's question? What's going on over here in this conversation? What's going on over here in this, in this conversation? So we'll start with the Amaros Tahoros. He quotes the Das Moshe. Paro understood from Moshe, everybody's going. meant, who's worthy? I know your people, and they've been influenced by us. They're assimilated. They're in the Memtes Sharei Tumah. They're all such grace tzaddikim. They're all going to the base medrash. They're all going to shul. They're all going to farbring with Rav Weinberger. Miva mi alchim. I know them. I've seen the lashonar. I see the way they talk in davening. I see the way they dress. I see where they go. I see how they fill out their taxes. I know them. They're not such grace tzaddikim. I know them. I know. I have their browser history. I have their Netflix account access. I know. So miva mi alchim. Who's so holy that who's going out to do this thing you call avodas Hashem? Who are the Avde Hashem, who are the big tzaddikim? Miva mi. Because to get out of the muck, to get out of the misery, to get out of the impurity of Mitzrayim, you need tzchus. True, there were a few, so miva mi. Who? Who are the Lamed Vav of this generation? asks Paro. Who are the distinguished? Who are the Mitsuyanim? Who are the excellent? Who are the righteous? Miva me, give me the list and I'll let them go. I know it's not more than that. You know what Moshe's answer was? Kulam Yatsu Vyakulavar Sashem is Parah. 
Judaism doesn't see age. We're blind to age. We don't care about a person's age. Whether you've been righteous since your youth, whether you first discovered Hashem now, today, and you're turning over a new leaf this morning, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Turns Moshe to Paro and he says, It doesn't matter. Men and women, young and old, whether they've always been righteous or whether just this moment they've decided they want to try to live a new life. Everybody in Yiddishkeit, we're all equal, we're all even. We're all one and the same. And all of us have a right and all of us have access and Hashem loves each and every one of us. We don't delegate our religious rites and ceremonies and rituals to clergy, to pastors, to priests, to rabbis, to others. Not just tzaddikim and tzidkanios, everybody's a big tzaddik. Everybody's a big tzaddik, from the kapalach to their fitzalach. Everybody, every yid's a big tzaddik. Every yid's a big tzaddik. Every yid's a big tzaddik. That's what Moshe is telling Paro. You know who all the tzaddik? Every yid's a big tzaddik. Binarenu, some 80 and 90 year olds have been a tzaddik since they were 10. Bizkeinenu, some 15 year olds just decided at 15 to be a tzaddik. First 14 years of their life, they were little tzaddikalas. Now at 15, they're going to be a tzaddik. Binarenu bizkeinenu doesn't mean young or old chronologically in age. It means stage and frame of mind. Some have always been a holy tzaddik, and some just discovered that they too can be a tzaddik. But you don't have to have a full, long resume of tzidkus to be able to be an Ever Hashem. To be an Ever Hashem, binarenu ubizkeinenu. It doesn't matter whether you've always been or whether you're just starting to be now. All of us can be a big tzaddik. That's what the Rach Meshrifka says was the conversation between Moshe and Paro. Back to our friend Rav Druk. Shlita Rav Druk understands differently. Yesh kan vikuach bein Moshe Rabbeinu leparo. V'tzarach lahavinu. So there's a debate, a dialogue going on. You have to understand it. Moshe, Doresh bin Arena b'zkeinenu. Hum v'akeh shech rosha kulam b'liyotem. And Akalal, he wants everyone out. Full emancipation. Ilu paro... And Paro says, no, only the men. Moshe doesn't accept it. Either everyone or nobody. We're all going together. No way. What's going on in this conversation? If you think about this conversation with Paro, you'll see the word that repeats itself over and over again is the word avoda. What did the servants and slaves just say? A moment ago, I told you the last insight. They demanded, with the chutzpah they learned, they were allowed to have from Moshe and Aaron. Moshe and Aaron gave them license to speak that way to Paro. And what did they say? Send them out and let them go worship their gods. Means they understood what was the purpose and goal. Paro himself says, Go and worship, go and serve. When we think of Avoda, what is Avoda? The Avoda? Korbanos. Sacrifices. Ritual. So Paro says, who does the ritual? Men, clergy, priests, religious leaders. Not children, not women, not the simple people. So if the whole reason Paro is willing to let them go is you've got some crazy religious practice, you want and you're after me for your religious freedom, 
Fine, no problem. Take a day, go where you need to go, go do your religious thing, and then we'll resume. Then come back. Who's going? Moshe says, who's going? We're all going. Paras says, you're not all going. To do your religious thing, you only need the religious leaders, the priests, the clergy. And Moshe says, no, that's not our religion. Our religion, our religion, young and old, boys and girls, men and women, everyone, everything. Why? Our religion is not just Avoda, bringing korbanos, making sacrifices. Our avoda doesn't end at the door of the shul. When you're done davening, the avoda shebalev, zu the avoda in the heart. What we do today, we don't have a base of mikdash, we don't have korbanos. What is our avoda today? Our avoda today is tefillah, is davening. So you don't leave Hashem behind. Kichag Hashem lano. It's kishmak to be a yid. Hashem comes with us to the mall and to work to the gym and to the supermarket. He comes with us back into our house, to the kitchen and the living room. He comes with us everywhere. Because to be a Yid, it's geschmack to be a Yid. It's gewaldic, it's a yontif. All of life and every day is one big, it's one big party with Hashem. It's one big party. And therefore, unlike other religions, you think this was just ancient? Even today, other religions, they have priests and pastors and clergy and the religious and the righteous life is for them. They practice celibacy, they practice abstinence, they have to practice rituals, they have to show up regularly. And the simple person in other religions comes once a year, comes once a week, nothing really asked or demanded of them. They can have concessions to give in and indulge their human desires. That's not our religion. I'll tell you a little secret. I'll tell you a little secret. The rabbi, this one or any other, the Gedola Yisrael of any generation, the Moetzes, they don't have a different Shulchan Aruch than you. They're no more bound by Halacha than you. They have no greater obligation. They have no different religious, religious practices. They don't have different Halachas. We're all the same. We're all exactly the same. That's what, it's all, that's what it's all about. And that's what's going on in this conversation. That's what's going on in this dialogue. Paro, like every other religion, says, you need the clergy, you need the priests. But Moshe is responding, that's not what Yiddishkeit's going to be. And, and sadly, even within Yiddishkeit, too many have made it that oh, the rabbis are the ones who have to raise their children a certain way. They have to dress or be careful where they go or what they do or what they watch. They're the ones who have to show up to shul on time and not talk and make it till the end before they take off their tefillin. Oh, it's for the rabbis. The Rebetzin, the Rebetzin has to and her children have to. But we, that's not our religion. Kichag Hashem lanu. It's not some religious ritual or service. It's not some burden. It's not some, it's a chag, it's gishmak, it's amazing. And therefore it is inviting and open to all. Moving along, turn the parak. Parak Yedalaf, Pasuk base. Page 346. The warning of the final plague. Hashem says to Moshe, one more plague I'm going to bring upon Paro in Egypt. Uwah, a whopper. We saved the best for last. Number 10. Number 10. We've built up to the 10th. And after that, he's going to send you out. And when he sends you forth, it shall be complete. He will drive you out of here. He will drive you out of here. By the way, what does Moshe keep saying to Paro? Let my, let my people go. 
Moshe doesn't chant, bring them home. He says, let them go. The hostages, the chant is not bring them home because as if there's someone not doesn't want to bring them home, the government, the IDF, anyone. We all want to bring them home. And if we had that option, we would. The burden and the pressure should not be on the Israeli government or on us, bring them home. The chant has to be, let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. And now we have a little interruption to our story. Before that 10th plague is visited, before Moshe for the final time will say, let my people go, Hashem tells them, speak in the ears of the people. They need to borrow from their reah. Silver vessels and gold vessels. Speak in their ear and they need to and they need to borrow. We're not going to repeat the Dvar Torah we've shared so many times that I love from the Chavetz Chaim. Ein Re'echa. Who's Re'echa? You're going to call the Egyptian that you're going to, first of all, you're not borrowing, you're taking it. Number two, the Egyptian all of a sudden became your Re'echa, your friend. Not Paro, nor the Egyptians. The Nazis, of course, were the primary actors of the Holocaust, but too many of the Polish were happy to be their accomplices. Hamas were the primary evil, wicked, Yamach Shemam Vezichram, terrorists who perpetrated and are perpetrating this war. And too many of the Gazans are their accomplices. So that's Reacha. Go borrow Meisra Eyu Meisra Usa. That's Reya. Slachavat Chaim had a whole new reading of this Pasuk. That in fact, it's not talking about the Mitzrim whatsoever. This was an instruction to the Jews. Lend and borrow from one another. Before you can go out, you need to first practice chesed. You need to learn and practice chesed. You have so little, but what you do have, you could lend and you can borrow and you can set up gemachs. You need to create the gemach of Mitzrayim. And only after you establish a gemach of Mitzrayim can you merit to go. And that's the pshat nachisa b'chastach amzuga alta. Kodesh Baruch only takes us out. We say it every day in Az Yashir. Says the Chavetz Chaim, Nachisa Bechastacha Amzuga Alta. Only when we first practiced Chesed was he willing to take us out. But that's the Bar Torah. I'm not telling you this year. That's the one I'm not telling you this year, even though I love it. Let's go back to the classic and simple understanding of this Pasuk. Taberna Baznei Am that Hashem is talking to, telling Moshe to talk to Bnei Yisrael. Vayishalu, they should. Rav Hirsch says the word She'ela can mean to borrow or to take. So it shouldn't bother us that it means borrow. Elsewhere in Tanakh, sometimes that same word doesn't mean to borrow, it means to take. And here it means to take. Take from your Mitzri neighbor. Zav. The Gemara says, the Medrash, Gemara Brachos, Daftes, tell us, Avram Avinu had a discussion with Hashem. The Brisbane of Besarim, Hashem told Avram, your children are going to be slaves in Mitzrayim. For how many years? 400 years. Again, it's interesting as we spoke about. It's Kabeshav Gadol, we say. We use the word Mehera, not Ashkenaz. Mehera, quickly, because it was accelerated was accelerated. That's why Kadma Va'azla, under, under Vayimura's Chayeim, Kadma Va'azla, because it went faster. Munach Revi, 
we're suffering now through. In the fourth exile, it was added, those years were tacked on, we're suffering through it. But in any case, in any case, 400 years, Hashem tells Avram the Bris ben Absarim, 400 years they're going to be slaves. And what will happen when they leave? Ayetu, they're going to leave with? With great wealth. They're going to leave with great wealth. So, the Gemara tells us, why now does Hashem say, Moshe, tell them, go collect the wealth, because I don't want Avram or his children to have a taina on me. You fulfilled the part of backbreaking labor. You fulfilled the part of centuries of slavery. But the part of leaving with great wealth, you forgot. You left out. So to fulfill it, go take gold and silver from your neighbors, grab it on your way out. Vakasha. The only reason Hashem fulfilled his pledge, his promise, was so that Avram can't have a taina later? It's a funny Gemara, Brachos Taftes. Hashem says, oh yeah, you know what? I knew, I had that reminder set. Before you leave, everyone take gold and silver. And why? So that Avram can't have a taina that I told him, you're going to be slaves, but you're also going to leave with great wealth. I got to make sure to fulfill the second half of leaving with great wealth. That's the only reason that he fulfills his word. Otherwise, he wouldn't have fulfilled his word. That's the only reason. Because when Hashem told Avram, you're going to leave with Rechush Gadol, he wasn't talking about gold and silver. You know what he was talking about? The greatest wealth that we can have is not what's in our bank account. It's not what we can deposit in a safe. That's not the great wealth that Hashem was promising. You know what he was promising was the Asifas Nitzotzos HaKadoshim in Mitzrayim and Kabbalah Satora to collect the holy sparks, to collect the holy energies, to collect the holy mitzvahs, to collect the holy chesed, to collect the holy children. As I zucked, Avinu could care less about stock market and real estate, about the cars and about the gold and the silver bars. It's not what he cared about. Because whatever he had, great or small, was all devoted and dedicated to the service of Hashem. If he was willing to sacrifice his son, certainly he was willing to sacrifice his gold and silver. It was the collection of the chesed, of the mitzvahs, of putting the, door, the dam on the doorpost, which we're going to get to momentarily. That's what the rechush gadol, the great wealth a person has. I forgot where I said this recently, which shir. Incredible malbim. It's definitely smichas chavar. Did I say it somewhere else? It's a beautiful song we sing, is that you can't take it all with you. There's never a U-Haul attached to the back of a hearse. Don't come with pockets. Because you can't take any of it with you. Can't take any of it with you. I don't care how many cars, how many watches, how much gold, how much silver, how much jewelry. It doesn't matter how big your portfolio or what appears in your bank account. You can't take any of it with you. So why does the Pasuk say, why did David HaMelech sing, Ki maso yikach hakol? He should have said, it's not that in death you can't take it all, in death you can't take anything. So why does he say you can't take it all? Because you can take some things. Ah, what can you take? We well, can slip something into the Aaron. You're going to put something into the coffin. You can't still take something with you? No. You can't take anything physical. 
but you can take all that you collected spiritually, the nitzotzos, you can take. The tamitzvahs and the masam tovim, you can take. And I told the story, I'll repeat it quickly here, that Rothschild was once, was once asked by someone, what's your net worth? It's a rude question, I don't think you're supposed to ask it, but what's, you couldn't Google it at the time. Today you just Google it, you wouldn't ask the person directly. But what's your net worth? What are you worth? So he told his secretary, his assistant, bring me my charity ledger, bring me my stock book. And he said, well, you know, I named this building, I set up this kailal, I gave to this mikvah, I donated to the soldiers in, in the army in Israel. So they, I know it was before Israel, I understand. So the man said, I asked you your net worth, not, not what you gave away, I asked you what you're worth. And listen to what Rothschild answered. He said, you know, what I have could disappear any moment. Stock market could crash, the real estate market could implode, what I have could be stolen, could disappear, the banks could go under. What I have, I don't really own, it could disappear. But what I gave away, no one can ever take from me. All that we ironically, paradoxically ever, ever have is what we gave away. What we hold on to, we don't really have. And certainly we won't have forever. But what we gave away, no one can take from us. That's what we'll always have, and that's what comes with us in the next world. And therefore, our new campus expansion... Sorry, I got distracted for a moment. And therefore, if anyone would like to talk about being able to take it to the next world and therefore giving it to us, I'd be more than happy to entertain that conversation. But that's what David Melech was saying, What you have, you can't take with you. But what you gave away, you can. What you gave away is exactly what you take with you. So don't hold on to it so tight. Don't hold on to it so tight. The tighter you hold on to something, the less you own it. And the less, the lighter you hold on to it, the more willing and eager you are to give, the more that you really ever have. Nebuch on the people who cling so tight. Nebuch on them. Nebuch, because they think they're holding on. They think they really have it. All that you really have is what you gave away. So that's the Ruchush Godel. What Hashem was telling Avram, the great wealth is the Nitzotos, the Chasadim, the Masim Tovim, Kabbalah Satora. However, Bnei Yisrael lo But Bnei Yisrael didn't understand that. After all, they were still on this lowly level, the slave mentality. They thought Rechush Godel was Pshuta Kamashmo. They thought Rechush Godel was the Powerball. They thought Rechush Godel was the lottery. They thought Rechush Godel was gold and silver. So Rechush Baruch had to say, Bevakasha mimcha, no. Inna elav lasham bakasha. Bevakasha, daber al Bnei Yisrael. And you know, that he fulfilled, kayam, he fulfilled. So therefore, from the perspective of Klaus, not because the Kodesh was ever himself going to renege on it. Rav Kook has a different insight. It says Rav Kook. Rav Kook has a different insight. And my friend, by Aaron Goldscheider, in his beautiful new book, Torah United, brings down this Rav Kook. What's the pshat? So one approach is Rabbeinu Hanan al Chizkuni, that this constituted reparations. First example of reparations in the Torah is, were they stealing? And they said, can we borrow some gold and silver? It was reparations. Reparations, 210 years of unpaid slavery. This was time to pay up. Compensation, reparations. According to Rabbeinu Hanan al Chizkuni, centuries of forced labor, it was reparations. We all know the debate, Ben-Gurion, Menachem Begin, should we allow Germany to pay reparations after the Holocaust? Ben-Gurion said, we are a brand new country, we have no resources, we have nothing, we're not in a position to say no. It doesn't mean they're exonerated or forgiven. Let them at least give us buses and taxis. Yes. 
Menachem Begin said, absolutely not. And he gave a fiery speech in the Knesset. And he said, don't let them feel that they've cleaned, they're absolved of their guilt because they wrote a check for our buses and our cabs and our taxis. It didn't go Begin's way. Of course, you see the Mercedes all over Israel. In Germany paid reparations. It was a great debate. But here, Rabbeinu Hanan al-Chizkuni say, Kurdish Baruch voted in this case, and he paskined reparations. Vayishalu, go borrow one from the other. It was an object lesson in justice. In the fullness of time, Hashem punishes the wicked and rewards the righteous. It further reinforced the theological lessons of the Makos, with Hashem's invisible hand moving around wealth as He saw fit. And that's what Hashem does. Ultimately, it's a gal, it's a gal, gal it's a cycle, economic cycle. On top today is on the bottom tomorrow. Hashem moves around that wealth. He moves around that wealth. That's why the wealth money is called, it moves, it moves. The, the zuzim, or zaz, the Hebrew word for money is zuz, because it's zaz, a currency, not only because the currency moves, because that same dollar moves throughout circulation, but it means wealth transfers hands. But still, even if that were the reason, reparations, you know how many times the Torah mentions this? No less than four times. Four, ti four times, it has to tell us. So Rav Cook suggests a different approach based on a Gemara. The Gemara tells us the following, Barachos Daftes. Shem asked the Jewish people for a favor. Please ask Egypt for gold and silver. So Avram will not have this claim, the Gemara we just learned. What is so significant about this aspect of Hashem's promise to Avram that he was concerned that he would complain? And why was this phrased as a request? So if Cook answers, Ikara Kavana Ha'ayona, appears in his Ein Ayah. If Cook wrote a commentary on some of the Agadic sections of Shas, Brachos, Shabbos, and others. And this appears in the Ein Ayah Brachos. Slavery, says Rav Kook, crushes the body. We know that. They couldn't hear Moshe, back-breaking labor, as its name suggests, breaks one's back. It's physically grueling and crushing, but it only does, doesn't only crush the body, it also crushes the, the spirit, the soul. And after 210 years of grueling, relentless laboring for others, Jewish slaves needed to begin thinking of themselves as masters of their own destiny. They needed to break out of that slave mentality. In the early stages of the redemption, Torah tells us that the Israelites had difficulty accepting Moshe's message of hope. Why? Because the smallness, kotzer ruach, of their spirit. It was necessary to make something unimaginable very real in order to break them out of their small-mindedness, to expand their focus beyond the day's toil and gruel. The sudden acquisition of precious metals would serve to awaken their sense of self-worth, to bolster their ambition. Bedecked in gold and the silver, their spirits could not help but be raised. Hashem phrased this as a request to demonstrate to them this wealth was the means and not the end. Enriching the people allowed them to broaden their horizons enough to bring spiritual greatness into their field of view. You slave mentality who dressed and looked and surrendered like slaves, put on this gold and jewelry and see yourselves as princes and princesses. Have ambition and goals and drives. See yourselves as royalty and carry yourselves as royalty. So that's why four times this is mentioned, not just as reparations, according to Rav Kook, because Baruch was trying to transform the mentality. If we see ourselves as victims, if we walk around in life as victims and martyrs, we'll never, ever make a change. We'll never have ambition and aspiration. 
will simply be victims throughout our lives. Before we ever left Mitzrayim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, here's a wardrobe, go get dressed. Because dress for the job that you want, not the job that you have. Have ambition, have aspiration, have goals, have vision. Don't see yourself as a victim. Don't be complacent or apathetic. Don't be a passive spectator to your own destiny. Put on this gold, put on this silver, put on this uniform, put on what you think right now for you is a costume, but let it ultimately be a precursor to who you're going to be. Broaden your horizon, have vision, be the arbiter of your own destiny. Don't just be a victim. Don't just be a victim. And that is why it's repeated four times. And that is why it was so critical. And that is why Hashem told Moshe, Daber, no, please, this is so critical. If you're going to break out of the slave mentality, this is what will be necessary. V'haya Adam, Perak Yud Beis, Pasuk Yud Gimel. Moving along. Chodesh is Elachem, the first mitzvah of the Torah is our ability to control time. A slave doesn't control their own time. To be a free person is to be in control of your own time. And if you live with Jewish time, i.e. you're late to everything, if you're not punctual, you are a slave. If you want to be free, then be in control of your own time. Be in control of your own time. That's why the first mitzvah in the Torah, first thing a slave needs to hear is, you're no longer controlled by others. If you feel, I have no time, I'm not in control of time, I'm overwhelmed by time, then you are a slave. You're a slave to whatever it is that's controlling your time. Whatever makes you lazy or procrastinate or late, whatever is filling your time, which is not what you want it to be with, you have to practice greater essentialism in your life, to be free is to be in control of your own time. Perikid Beis, Pasuk Yud, Gimel, page 352. Before Hashem is willing to take them out, He gives them the challenge to tie up the animal to the bedpost, slaughter it, take the blood, sprinkle it on the doorpost. Perikid Beis, Pasuk Yud, Gimel, and the blood will be a sign on the homes that you're there. And I'll see the blood and now the name of the holiday, I will skip over them. There will not be a plague of destruction upon you when I will strike in the land of Egypt. Says Revolba. Says Revolba in his Sheure Chumash. Says Revolba in his Sheure Chumash. We'll end with two if we can quickly. Revolba's. B'nai Israel are given two mitzvahs to do before the redemption from Mitzrayim. Brismila and Karban Pesach. And in Brismila is sprinkle the blood. And the question is, and what's the reason? It's given by the Torah itself. You don't have to, you don't have to uh, guess. What's the reason? To identify the home. Hashem has to know which ones to skip over. And of course, Revolb is bothered the question that we all are. Does Hashem really need a sign? Tie a ribbon around the tree? Put a note on the front door? Put a mezuzah on the doorpost? Sprinkle some blood so he knows which house to skip over? He doesn't know? Ten plagues he could bring. But knowing which is a Jewish house that he doesn't know? That he doesn't know, it's easy. The ones that have a minivan in the driveway. <laughs> Why do you have to sprinkle blood? Just check who has a minivan. Check who has a minivan or a Range Rover. So Rashi citing Chazal explains, everything is revealed before Hashem, and yet Hashem said, I'll put my eyes upon you. Zok to Rashi, what's the Rashi here? I'll only do it. Rashi, v'ra'isi Adam, hakol galoi lefanecha, what am I looking for? What am I looking to see? Whether you do my mitzvos. I'm giving you one command, sprinkle blood. If you do it, I know it's the right house and I'll skip it. If you don't, it's not the right house. And then I'm not skipping it. Then you're going to get what the others are getting too. Says Ravoba, you see in this Rashi, the whole idea of mitzvos. 
He's omnipotent, he's infinite, he certainly knows which house is a Jewish house. The point of asking him to do it was not really so he would know. The point was for us to have skin in the game. Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to compromise? Are we willing to make an effort? Are we willing to also add? Relationships have to be reciprocal. Don't sit back and wait for the other to do for you. What are we, you willing to do? How do you demonstrate your love? How do you demonstrate your service, your acts of service? Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't need our mitzvos. It's not for him but he wants us to see that we have skin in the game, that we're invested in the relationship, that we're willing to give, to go, to do, to sacrifice. Every mitzvah we perform and every bracha we recite brings bracha and bounty to the world. And before Hashem was willing to skip over the house, first he wanted to see us do a mitzvah, and the same is true with every mitzvah. Kirsh Baruch Hu has shefa bracha. He has all kinds of bracha waiting to give to us, but first he gives a little look and he says, no, are they doing mitzvahs? Am I in this relationship one way? Because I don't want to be in a one-way relationship. All the expectations are on me. I got to do all the lifting in this relationship. Not interested. I'll be in a relationship if it's on both sides. I'll be in the relationship if it's two ways. How does Hashem know what our needs are, what our wants are? <laughs> it's not hard. It's not a secret. We tell Him all the time. We ask Him. We protest. We object. We beg. We plead. We're angry. He knows what we want. How do we know what His needs are? It's also easy. There's no guesswork. How do you know his needs? There's 613 of them. They're called mitzvos. So Hashem says, I'm all ears. I'm happy to listen to what your needs are, and I'm happy to provide them. But I'd like you to pay attention to my needs, and my needs aren't even for me. My needs are also for you, but I've spelled it out for you. So, therefore, therefore, when you do mitzvos, I skip on that house. This Rashi is so fundamental, says Revolba. We miss it. We skip over it like the house, we skip over the Rashi. But Rashi is telling us the whole purpose of mitzvah. Don't do it for me. I, can, I know which is a Jewish house, even if you don't do it. Do it for you because a relationship has to be reciprocal. A relationship has to be two ways. Only then is it a real, is it a real relationship. There was a beautiful of Soloveitchik also on this. Why do we need to sprinkle the blood? But we are over time, so we'll end here. We'll start next year with this beautiful Rav Soloveitchik. Please remain to finish all of Sefer Tehillim. Take just a few minutes. We divide into 30 parts. We'll take just a few minutes. Please remain to finish all of Sefer Tehillim. Remember, no shear for the next two weeks. We'll resume in two and three weeks from now. If you're not on the WhatsApp group, join the Parsha Perspective WhatsApp group. You'll get the write-up. you get bonus Divrei Torah. You'll be reminded of the schedule. Join it and get on board. Shadir Besoros Tovos today and every day.